What's up? This is Rayshon Jenkins, and you're listening to the Chargers Podcast Network. What's up, guys? Chris Harry with you on a special edition of Chargers Weekly. With the NFL Draft just six weeks away, the plan from here on out is to get a draft analyst on every single Tuesday leading up to Las Vegas. And today, a friend of the program, Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports, joins me on the line. Chris, always a pleasure, bud. How are you? I'm doing good, Chris. Thanks for having me again. We did this at the Senior Bowl in late January, Chris. What new information have you learned about some of these prospects in the last six weeks or so? Um, I don't know if there's been any major developments um, outside of kind of some new thoughts about this wide receiver class. I mean, being there at the Senior Bowl um, during that week of practice in Mobile, Alabama, we were sitting in the stand recording that podcast. And Baylor wide receiver Denzel Mims was really starting to show himself that he wasn't maybe a third or a fourth round pick, but maybe could be a second or maybe a first round pick. Then at the Combine, uh, had a great workout, the best workout of any wide receiver um, in attendance. And some of the other guys, the Jerry Judys and the C.D. Lambs, even Jalen Rager from TCU, did not necessarily test as well as a lot of people expected. So... Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb are still going to go early. Henry Ruggs ran 427. Um, not obviously breaking the record, but still a really fast time, jumped over 40 inches. Those guys are going to go early. But we went into the pre-draft process with kind of this overarching thought that it was a really deep wide receiver class. But I think some of the names like Denzel Mims, and he's probably the headliner, have kind of shown over the past couple of months with the senior bowl and the combine that it's a deep wide receiver class, but some of these players might actually have to go in the late first round or the early second, that there might be more top-end talent at the receiver spot than we initially realized. Chris, I look at the Chargers' weapons on the outside. Obviously, Mike Williams was a, uh, a top-ten pick a few years ago. you got Keenan Allen. That third wide receiver spot, maybe somebody who can take the top off of a defense, do you see anybody that fits that bill in maybe like the, the third or fourth round? Uh, somebody that would maybe in any of the draft be a, a top 60 pick? Yeah, probably two guys that, that fit that mold in terms of what they can do on the field and where they're likely to be picked. Uh, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. Yeah. Um, a lot of people out west there probably saw him in the Pac-12 the last couple of years especially in 2019 with, um, you know, being in the spotlight for the Sun Devils. He ran 4 or 5 with the combine, had a 40-inch vertical. He has the explosiveness, very long arms, um, very sure in the way that he catches the football down the field, tracks it over his shoulder, um, hit a lot of big plays, and probably won't be um, even a second-round pick. I think running that 4 5 some teams will be a little bit scared of that in terms of picking him that early. And then K.J. Hamler from Penn State. Um, he's a little smaller. He's around 5'9", 175 pounds. Kind of has a similar game to Travis Benjamin that Chargers fans know really well, that he will have a lot of games with three catches and 115 yards and a touchdown. That he's not going to be a high-volume guy, but his burst off the line of scrimmage and then that second gear that he can kick it into on the vertical route tree is truly special. I think it's up there with, a Henry Ruggs with a Jerry Judy in that you're not going to maybe get a lot of intricate routes from him. You're not going to be someone that is going to get a lot of, uh, you know, possession type uh, catches from him where you're going to throw him the football at a high volume, but you're going to want to get him 
um, when he has one-on-one coverage, you're going to want to throw him the football because he can run by a lot of corners and safeties, even in the NFL. So those two guys, second, third, fourth round, I think would make a lot of sense to add to that third receiver spot uh, for the Chargers this year. That's great information. And when you play the Kansas City Chiefs twice, it's no mm-hmm. secret you probably want to add speed to combat the Tyreek Hills and uh, Nicole Hardmans yep. of the world, right? Yeah, and and I think not only um, does someone like a Brandon Ayuk or a Tyreek Hill or a KJ Hamler, adding that speed pump in um, helps obviously to hit big plays, but the attention that gets drawn to a Tyreek Hill is huge for Travis Kelsey. It's huge for the screen game. So I think even in a game where um, if the Chargers do add a speed element to the offense, and they most likely will probably in that range that you're saying, even if that guy doesn't have a big game, only has one or two catches, more low volume, his impact will be felt by his other teammates making plays at the short to intermediate levels and after the catch. So just having that speed, having that thought for your defensive coordinator that Tyree Kill is out there can really impact the game in more than just the individual stat sheet for that player. We know the offensive line class pretty top-heavy as well. What do you or how do you view this offensive line class in terms of later rounds? Can you get a potential starter, a potential day one starter in later rounds? Yeah, I think you can. I mean, it's really top heavy in terms of offensive tackle. There's kind of the five guys that everyone's been talking about um, that are likely to be top 20 or top 25 picks. And we haven't seen that many offensive tackles go that early in a while. Um, But if you're looking at the interior spot, and I know with Michael Schofield being a free agent, um, that could be a position that the Chargers want to upgrade. And, and, and I think for any team, you can never have too many interior offensive linemen that can play multiple positions. Um, there's one player that's just popping into my head right now from Ball State, Danny Pinter. And, and being from Ball State, he's not really on the radar, but he had a tremendous combine, like an elite-level athlete. He played tackle, will probably play left or right guard. You could even play him at center. Light feet, very powerful, amazing balance. Um, I think more so on the third day of the draft, we're going to see guys picked at guard like a Danny Pinter that's not really going to move the needle initially. But then in a few years, we're going to say, hey, look, this is a, a starter who's been a team's right or left guard for two full seasons and has really locked it down. So I really like the top heaviness of the offensive tackle class um, and then the interior offensive lineman, the guys that can play multiple positions second and third day I think there's just how that position is valued I think there will still be a handful of really good players picked in those rounds in this draft and Chris just to clarify a guy like Danny Pinter you you see him as a day three pick or a day two pick potentially yeah I think it probably a day three pick just because of the level of competition coming from Ball State and that he does have to make a position change um, there's a few other guys that are for more power programs day two like Damian Lewis from LSU, he's, he's really powerful, not great laterally, but will really be able to stone NFL defensive linemen right away. But for Pinter, I think on the third day, there's a guard from TCU, um, Cordell Aguagu, I believe his last name is, um, played left guard, played some center. You just are really looking for those high caliber athletes that might fall to the third day because they're not big enough yet or strong enough. Um, and I probably said it on the previous podcast, most offensive linemen are not really NFL strong right when they come in. They need a year, even defensive linemen too, and I think Jerry Tillery is kind of an example of that. They need a year to beef up, 
to truly go from being one of the strongest guys in college to an adequate amount of strength by NFL standards. So someone like a Danny Pinter that would be a third-day pick, fifth or a sixth rounder, after a year or maybe halfway through his rookie year, will get up to that standard of strength and weight and be able to hold down um, one of the positions in the trenches. Chris, everybody loves a sleeper, right? Based on what you saw at the Combine and combine that with what you see on tape, who are some sleepers that maybe should be on teams' radars come April? Yeah, I mean, I'll probably start with the wide receiver class just because it is so talented and we've talked so much about it. Um, There's a small uh, wide receiver that could be that speed option from Tulane named Darnell Mooney. He ran 4.38 at the combine, just quietly ran under 4.4. He's 5'10", 175 pounds, so he's in that Travis Benjamin type of mold. But you watch him on film, and you see glimpses of Tyler Lockett, that he's small, he's twitchy, he can get off the line just with his athleticism, and then he's instantly in top gear. And then down the field, even though he has smaller hands, doesn't have a big catch radius, he is completely unafraid to contort his body, to high points of football, to take a hit from a safety. Um, Wasn't in a high-volume passing offense, but was really accounting for a lot of the passing yards. Um, At Tulane, he could be someone that, to me, fifth, sixth, even seventh round, because of that speed, could be a a gigantic sleeper. Um, And in the right system, as that wide receiver three, that's just a downfield guy, which, again, the Chargers could certainly use. I think that would make a lot of sense. He's one of the guys that I've uncovered recently um, that's a lot of fun. And then interior offensive lineman, I could have said him earlier, um, Cole Cabral from Arizona State. He's got a weird body to play center. He's 6'5 and 300 pounds, so he's kind of tall. I think he could play guard. Um, He definitely has the experience over the past couple years playing center, a high-caliber athlete, and that's what you want to see for those day three interior offensive linemen. Um, getting out on screens, very textbook. Uh, his footwork in pass protection almost looks like he's a tackle. He kick slides very, very well, gets really low um, with his hips, does not get out leveraged very often. He could be someone, didn't work out at the combine, I believe he's still injured, that's not going to get a lot of hype. But because of his inherent athleticism, after beefing up a little bit, I think those two players um, can really be impact guys that are picked on the third day of the draft. Chris, before the combine, I had an opportunity to sit down with a lot of prospects here in Southern California that were preparing for the combine. And one of those guys was AJ Dillon of Boston College. He's a monster, and he put yep. up monster numbers at the combine. How impressed were you with AJ? I know he's one of your sleepers that you pointed out in Indy. Yeah, I was really impressed. There was a lot of buzz about him being like a track guy even at like 240 pounds and, and a really stocky six foot. Um, I didn't know if I was expecting at that size profile for him to run four, five, three, to have a 41 inch vertical and the longest broad jump of any running back in this class. The top, uh, and then the you top at, broad and vertical, Chris. Yeah. It was just insane at his size. And when you look at who he compares to the most athletically, it's Ricky Williams, which is kind of insane thing when you're thinking about all this um that he's kind of viewed as a day three guy oh maybe he's not fast enough to be in the nfl he proved that he is plenty fast enough and plenty athletic enough 
Then you watch him on film. Defenders just bounce off him. He, he is truly a wrecking ball. Not going to make a ton of guys miss, but I think he has the ability to just make one defender miss. If it's, you know, behind the line of scrimmage, if it's down the field, he has enough wiggle to make one guy miss and then just power through blockers. I think if Melvin Gordon signs elsewhere and, you know, recently extending Austin Eckler, I think A.J. Dillon, fourth, fifth, sixth round, if he's still there at that point, maybe even the third round, um, to pair him with Eckler would be such a fun compliment because he's not that great of a receiver. Eckler certainly is. Um, completely different size profiles, but again, as it's kind of seen, they're both outstanding athletes relative to their size. He really surprised me, and I think he boosted himself up at least one or two rounds with his performance at the Combine. Yeah, it's going to be fun to see where he lands in the draft. Mm-hmm. All right, we waited about 13 minutes to get into the quarterbacks. I saw last <laughs> week that you have Jordan Love to the Chargers at number six overall. Why do you have Jordan Love at six, and how does he compare, Chris, to Justin Herbert? We we hear a lot about Tua. Tua hasn't worked out yet, and obviously a lot of people think Joe Burrow is going to be the number one overall pick. I think the easiest way for me to kind of compare these two quarterbacks is that with Jordan Love, your offensive coordinator is going to have to tell him to kind of rein in his aggressiveness at times. And with Justin Herbert, it's the opposite. I think you love the physical skills for both, but Justin Herbert has a tendency to maybe not pull the trigger on that, you know, deep dig route on third and 10, but to check it down. Um, and even though he has the ability to make those tight window throws because of his arm, um, so it kind of depends on what your offensive coordinator would rather have from their quarterback. I think with Justin Herbert, you're not going to get a lot of interceptions. You're going to get smart decisions more often than not. You can get athleticism outside the pocket. You can use him as a scrambler um, in the design run game if you want. He can make, he will make two or three wild throws every game because the arm talent is that special. With Jordan Love, it's a little more wild. It, it's truly, I don't think I've done one podcast or one radio spot without drawing the Patrick Mahomes comparison. And everyone's doing it for Jordan Love. Not as talented as Patrick Mahomes, but uh, has similar type of playing style kind of reckless but can kind of lead to some big plays so whether you're a fan or you're you know uh actually making the pick for the Chargers, it kind of depends on what style of quarterback you like i kind of flip-flop between those two guys even with Tyrod Taylor there who I think the steady bridge quarterback he's proven to be um one of those two guys and and we'll kind of tell on draft night if they decide to pick one of those two what kind of flavor they like at the quarterback spot. But that's really the biggest difference between these two really talented quarterback prospects. And Chris, we're doing this interview from Costa Mesa to Buffalo. And I know you've been someone who's followed the Buffalo Bills very closely over the years. Coach Lynn entering his fourth season as the head coach of the Chargers, Tyrod Taylor. Both of those guys were in Buffalo together just wanted to get your your overall thoughts on the job that Coach Lynn has done here in Los Angeles and Tyrod Taylor, potentially as, as a starter. Coach Lynn said he's very comfortable having Tyrod on the roster, and we'll just have to wait and see what happens in free agency in the draft. Yeah, well, I can say this, that when Anthony Lynn was the interim coach, um, just for one game after Rex Ryan was fired, there was a lot of people going into – that offseason before the Bills hired Sean McDermott um, that wanted the Bills to keep Anthony Lynn because he had so much respect in that locker room. A lot of the players came out and said, 
we would be totally fine and think that he would lead the Bills in the right direction. Um, and that was just from media members, from fans. Um, again, a lot of the, the team members at that point. So I think he has a lot of respect around the league. He's a, obviously a player's coach having played football. Um, I think he's done a very good job dealing with the amount of injuries that the Chargers have had and keeping that a competitive team played in a lot of close games. We talked about it on the previous podcast that, you know, they lost a lot of close games this past year and that led to them not making the playoffs. Um, but I think he's that kind of just uh, calming force on the sideline that when they have to throw in second, third string guys in critical games, they're still competitive. So I think that speaks to a head coach that's not wild and crazy, that, that has a good game plan, that can cycle through players as injuries mount. Um, and then for Tyrod Taylor, I really believe that he's not a quarterback that is going to elevate your team from, you know, being eight and eight to say 12 and four or 13 and three. But in Buffalo, when he had a healthy Sammy Watkins, when he had Robert Woods, Marquise Goodwin was healthy. They had a good running game, a decent defense. He led them to the playoffs. He snapped the drought of 18 seasons without making the playoffs in Buffalo and was just a steady force, kind of like Anthony Lynn, that you knew what you were getting from him every game. He was not turning the football over. He has very good touch down the field. He's electric. Um, as a scrambler, he can make plays outside the pocket with his feet, and he keeps his eyes upfield. So if we're talking about Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, potentially A.J. Dillon, or, or another running back with um, Austin Eckler and an improved offensive line, I think he can be a perfect bridge quarterback if you – even if you draft Justin Herbert or Jordan Love and say maybe these quarterbacks aren't ready as rookies. I don't think Tyrod Taylor, just because he hasn't been starting the last couple of years, we can't forget about him because he's shown that in a pretty good environment, he can lead a team and not hold back a team um, with just not throwing interceptions, with making good decisions, living to see another down, and then occasionally hitting those big plays over the top and with his legs. So I think – they have two former Buffalo Bills that were very, very respected and did a lot of good things when they were in Western New York. Well said. Chris, I'm going to get you out of here on this. I'm looking at your Twitter right now. I know you have a seven-round mock draft that Ooh. drops on Wednesday. I'm sure it's a beast. Do you want to give Chargers fans a hint, maybe a little uh, a breadcrumb to, to Wednesday? Yeah, we're going to get a quarterback – for the Chargers early. I won't tell you which one. It okay, is either you gotta Jordan watch. Love you gotta or click. you got to click. Uh, it will be Jordan Love or Justin Herbert. And then, honestly, a lot of what we talked about, filling in some pieces on the offensive side, because I think the defense, um, you can certainly adapt later in the draft, and I did, but uh, in this seven-round mock draft, but offensive line, wide receiver, just adding a little bit more juice to the offense um, as they move on from Phillip Rivers, I think that makes the most sense for the team, and that's what I'm doing in this Three free agency, seven-round mock that will probably have three picks right the entire way. But it's a fun exercise <laughs> to kind of get some ideas of positions and potential prospects that your team could ultimately pick in April. Listen, man, it gets it gets fans fired up, and then once free agency <laughs> hits, you got to blow it up and do it all again, right? Yep, yep exactly. Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports. Look for his seven-round mock draft that drops on Wednesday. Like I said, we're going to do this each and every week leading up to the draft, get you a draft analyst here on Chargers Weekly. Chris, I appreciate you being the first, buddy. Thanks so much. All right, Chris. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it.